0: Go for, go for it. So, okay, a lot of what I'll say is, in, in a sense, kind of background to this uh, description of the Transfiguration. And you might think, some people will go, oh, that's interesting, that's good, we like to think about this, but some of you might be thinking, where are you going with this? Just bear with me, I think it'll all come together, uh, towards the end, at least. Okay, so, um, we read, firstly, um uh, Mark saying that some who were standing with him at that time, so at the moment he 's with the disciples and a crowd verse thirty four of the last chapter, some here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power and this event, this transfiguration is in effect an unveiling of that power, so we have a glimpse if you like of Of Jesus' power and glory. We've seen it thus far in the things he's been doing, but this is kind of a category different, you could say. Um, And then, we, we read, six days after this, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain. Okay. So, a high mountain. That's quite significant if you know your Old Testament background. And that's what we're going to look at now. But before that, mountains in lots of religions and lots of faiths are really significant. Um, God is found in the mountains. That's a sort of Nepalese idea. It's the place where the gods dwell. We don't have that in our culture so much, but many cultures do. You meet with God, you climb a mountain, and that's where he is. So in Nepal, they don't name their mountains for that reason. Because that's where they got it. Was. But again, and again, I don't know if any of you saw the BBC programme about the Incas recently, possibly like not. Yes, yes. Fascinating. So, so there was, a, well I'm quite interested in archaeology, but I won't go into that. But there was, very sadly, if you understand that, religions, a child sacrifice on one of their mountains. A young girl who's it's pretty much preserved when she was found. So, really, you know, but sacrifice, mountains, meeting some divine, is a very kind of innate thing, and it's not all wrong in one sense, as we'll see. So, mountains, God, sacrifice, and so forth. We don't have that in our culture. But again, in Jewish, Israel, Israelite culture, it's quite similar. So the first one to look at is Abraham on the mountain. Remember, he's going up the mountain of Isaac. And the Lord's told him to sacrifice his son on the mountain, Genesis 22. At bus, he doesn't, and the, and the Lord says, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Okay. So it's in a sense the first time you get the sense that God is revealing purposes on mountains. Okay? And then we'll look slightly more le- at length at, at, at Moses and Elijah because, of course, they come up in our passage. And mountains were very significant in their lives. So we can think of Moses on Horeb, on the mountain of Horeb. That's where he met God, in, 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 in the burning bush. So God is revealing himself on a mountain. I am who I am says the Lord to Moses on a mountain, with a voice on that mountain. Again, Moses goes up to Sinai, another mountain, and it says, Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him on the mountain. That's Exodus 19. God, the Lord, gives Moses the law on Sinai to tell the people how to live before Moses goes up, we read this in Exodus 19. I'm going to come to you <coughs> in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Okay? So God is going to make sure Moses is, as it were, singled out so people will listen to him. And that's on a mountain next mountain for Moses is Nebo, so he, he, he's angry, you may remember this, and, and the Lord says, you're not going to enter the promised land, but you can see it from afar. And he climbs up Mount ne- Nebo, and he's shown the mountain, the promised land, that he's not allowed to enter it. And he dies on the mountain, the Lord. And it also says in, 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 in that passage, no one knows where his grave is. It's an interesting little detail. Um, whereas, you know, think of King David, his, his grave in Jerusalem and various other people, there's no mention of Moses' grave. And Elijah, Elijah, you know, Moses the lawgiver, Elijah, a major prophet, again, mountains, are very feature very strongly in his, his life. So he encounters the Lord um, actually let me do it the other way around firstly you have him on Carmel where he, he's confronting the waywardness of, the, of Israel who aren't following the Lord you may remember the prophets of Baal who is God is the question on that mountain who is God the people are very compromised at that point who are they actually going to listen to who are they going to follow And on that mountain, it's clearly revealed who is God. We won't go into the story. But but Elijah explained who the Lord was and sought to bring him back. But actually, he was hunted down. The the repentance that he was longing for didn't really happen. Jezebel, Ahab's wife, made sure he's hunted down and uh, you get Elijah running away his mission in a sense hasn't quite restored the people Okay. so what does he do in his depression in his distress he goes to Horeb the mountain where Moses met the Lord and the Lord is very gracious and met him on that mountain and revealed to himself in a quietness. Okay. And Elijah is told on that mountain that he's going to have a successor who he is to anoint. That's Elisha, who will go on and do the work. And then we read Elisha actually leaves this earth in a whirlwind. It's just like, again, unusual. It's pretty, isn't it? so so, so we've got mountains a place where God speaks where God God reveals his purposes and we have these two individuals who come up in our story who don't kind of Moses dies on the mountain, Elijah doesn't that's why they're here God takes them away and they come up here so it's a bit unusual Um, let's leave it with that so, you know, when Mark says that he takes Peter, James and John, up a high mountain, if you've got that in your background, you're thinking, oh, what's going to happen? You might think, you know, well, Jesus went up to a mountain earlier in Mark, and he said that's where he he anointed, uh, sorry, he called his twelve, he decided who was going to be it. Sometimes he went up a mountain to pray, we read that. Um, sometimes he went up a mountain to rest. So, if you were Peter or James and John, you might think, oh good, we've got to break them the crowds." But that's not what happens. It's very strange, and they are kind of like shocked. Um, let me just read that again. So, when they were all alone, Jesus, Peter, James and John, he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Transfigured, I think I, the Greek is something like metamorphosis, which might ring bells with metamorphosis. And stuff. So Jesus is, is, is kind of transformed in one sense. He's, he's bright uh, his clothes become bright. And again, we need to understand the background, the Old Testament background to this. So I will just read uh, one more bit from Exodus 34. So this is where Moses is coming down from the mountain, where he's been given the law. He's got the two tablets in his hand. And it says this in Exodus 34, 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant, because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and the Israelites saw Moses, whose face was radiant, they were afraid to come near him. So something about God speaking to Moses um, meant that his face was radiant. You see that elsewhere in Exodus. But here, when we read that Jesus is transfigured, so it's a category higher. It's not just he's radiating. He himself is displaying the glory of God. really, in effect, his clothes become dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach him. That's something in the presence of God who lives in inapproachable light, that we read elsewhere. And then you might also think we're almost over with the background. Um, Daniel in Daniel seven um, says this: "I looked, and thrones were set in place, and the ancients of, of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow." So God Himself is pictured with white clothes, and here we have Jesus, who's shown very vividly. In effect, this is God on a mountain. Powerful stuff. Earlier, we, we saw that Peter had seen that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Anointed One. But he didn't get it all right. Jesus talked about his death. Peter said, no, 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 that's not the way. That's not the way. But here we have, if you like, a clear revelation of Jesus to these three. Um, One more background. Moses says this, it's in Deuteronomy 18.15
1: The Lord your God
0: will raise up for you a prophet like me so like Moses, from among you your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. See that echoed in our passage. You must listen to him So if, if, you, if you like, this is a remarkable event. You talk about, you know, sometimes people talk about who would you most like to meet? Here we have Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. I mean, the top of the dots on a mountain. Really. Um, in the other Gospels, we read that they're talking about Jesus' exodus, how he is going to be, but that's not mentioned here Peter says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He he did not know what he was saying. He was so frightened. I'm not surprised. Perhaps he thought, well, Moses was up 40 days. Maybe we're going to be up 40 days. Who knows? Maybe he thought, I just want to prolong this experience. Who knows? Who knows? But then we have this cloud appearing, And covering them. Remember the clouds, we sort of touched that, there's more one could look at. And then the voice comes from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, the disciples, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So this voice, you know, if you go back to Sinai, never said to Moses, This is my son. This is the one. He is the new teacher. He is the one who will restore Israel. The other two, is just preliminaries in a sense, to that. Listen to him. Listen to him. This is what the three close disciples needed to see, to understand, that Jesus you know, wasn't just Elijah, he wasn't Moses, because that's what, what he was, you know, who is this guy? You've seen that earlier in, in Mark's Gospel. This is the Son of God, the very Son of God. Listen to him. And Mark emphasizes that by, by sort of saying it was just Jesus at the end. So you have this kind of opening, this view of who Jesus is. Listen to him. He is the centre of history. We are to listen to him. God made it very, very clear to these three. And they're, they're told not, actually, to tell anyone what they've seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. You see that in verse 9. And I will just read from Peter. So Peter was a good friend of John Mark who wrote the gospel we are just reading he wrote this in his second letter Uh, you'll see how it links so in chapter 1 he says I will make every effort verse 15 to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things so Peter is keen that people understand what he saw of Jesus and he said this We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice, that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So sometimes people say, well, if God would just show himself to me, I would follow him. The reality is, he has, and he's made sure that we can look in and remove this account. So I guess the main point for us to think about ourselves is, are we listening to what Jesus is saying, are we dwelling in his word, are we seeking to follow him, we may say we're him, but are we following his ways? Second half of the passage, they're coming down the mountain now. And we read this um, in verse 10. They kept the matter to themselves. The matter of, Jesus had just said, the son of man, must rise from the dead. They discuss amongst themselves, Peter, James, and John, what, what exactly is that? So yes, they've had a clear sense of the majesty of, of Jesus, but they still don't quite get it. And this is quite comfortable for us. It takes a while for things. to to, to come through. But they don't actually ask Jesus about that. They ask him about something else. They say, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restore all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wish, just as it is written about him. Now, this could be, can be a little bit confusing. This Elijah, Jesus says, Elijah does come first and restore things. He's not referring to Elijah who we've just seen in that passage. He's talking about John the Baptist. I'll, I'll, I'll try to explain why. Jesus is in fact saying, Elijah has come, the Son of Man must be rejected, that's me, I must be rejected. I tell you, Elijah has come, they've done to him everything they wished, just as it's written about him. Earlier we saw that John the Baptist was executed. He was the one who, who was the prophet pointing to Jesus. So Elijah, if you like, John the Baptist, is inaugurating, he's heralding the new era, the last days. And what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, yes, disciples, you have seen my glory now. You have seen my glory. But I'm I'm going to say You've seen that little kind of snapshot of who I am, and I will come again on, on the clouds. You will see me with the with the time. Um, he said that at the end of chapter 8. But now I am to suffer. Now I am to be rejected. And it takes a lot for his disciples to get us, as we've seen it already. John the Baptist, Jesus is saying, was murdered. Herodias makes sure he was got rid of. Rather like Jezebel tried to get Elijah. That's the sort of connection. Jesus is saying this new era has happened. You have seen me. You've seen the glory. But I'm going to be su- I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to be rejected. And as he said back in, in chapter eight, eight, it's going to be the same for us. For you know, whoever wants to. Save their life or lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. We have to be willing ourselves uh, to go that way. Yes, Jesus may be the king. He may be the one who we clearly see um, in his glory that he has to suffer. And sometimes we do. But to sort of uh, draw things to a close, I think the focus of this passage is Jesus is the one. I mean, Christians know this, but he is the one we are to listen to. Are we, are we going to be like Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet and pondered what he said, or are we just going to get caught up in life and forget to listen? Are we going to be more like Mark? we have seen here very clearly that Jesus is in effect God he's that one seated, seated on the throne he's in white we've seen about clouds we've seen about mountains this is the glory of Jesus I can believe it there so, uh, so let's pray and then Kitty will will uh, lead us in some songs Lord, we see something of your glory by reflecting on, on this amazing event uh, that you showed to Peter and James and John. Help us, Father, to listen to your Son, who you so clearly marked out to be the one to listen to. Thank you that he resolutely went to the cross, he suffered mm-hmm. for us as we we thought about earlier today. Help us to listen to him and marvel as we continue to read of his works in in Mark. We pray this for your God. In Jesus' name. Amen.